Hello, and welcome to the Suffolk Money Podcast. This is a podcast which brings you stories from all around the county of Suffolk, where we've met wonderful businesses, superb charities, and great, interesting individuals. One of the wonderful community activities that has sprung up over the last few years is the Felix Stowe Book Festival, led by the supremely knowledgeable and incredibly determined Meg Reed. We interviewed Meg in our last podcast, but this time we have the opportunity to talk with one of the other speakers, who is Terry Waite. Terry will be known to many of you because of his time being held in captivity in Beirut, having been sent there to work as an envoy on behalf of the Archbishop of Canterbury to free those who were themselves being held. Since his release, Terry has worked tirelessly in the field of forgiveness and working with others who hold opposing views. However, he continues to work, as you will hear, with people who are still hostages or held against their will in other parts of the world. But he has made Suffolk his home, and we're delighted that we're able to share some thoughts and some time with him, but look forward to him speaking at the Felixstowe Book Festival at the end of June. Terry, it is a real joy to be able to catch up with you. I don't know how many times we've uh, been able to support you at the book festival now. Uh, can you recall how many times you've been to the Felixstowe Book Festival? <laughs> it takes me all my time to recall my age. <laughs> I, that I can remember. I'm 82. <laughs> I was 82, actually, just a few days before recording this um, this oh. interview with oh, you. Apologies but, to um, it. It, it, it's a good long. It's a good long time. It's a number of years. Yeah. <laughs> oh well, many. Uh, first of all, yeah, many congratulations on your you know, recent birthday. In that case, <laughs> thank you. Um, well, I certainly recall. There's at least two, maybe even three times you've been to the uh, book festival. I, I recall. Um, certainly, that's I think how many times we've supported or <laughs> sponsored you. Yeah. Um, so you're due to be there uh, the end of June. That's true, yes. I'm very much looking forward to it. I think book festivals, I mean, they really bring people together and people enjoy them. Um, they enjoy uh, having that personal conversation with somebody whom they probably read about or may have read their books and just to meet them. And sometimes, you know, you get a pleasant surprise and sometimes you get an unpleasant surprise. They say, oh, <laughs> blimey, you know, that fellow writes well but he can't speak for toffee. <laughs> so <laughs> that happens, that happens. I'm you know, sure I, that I, has I've, I've discovered that myself. I've been to, oh, so many book festivals in my life. And of course, you, you sit in on other people and <laughs> you realise that there are good speakers, there are speakers, and there are people who should stick to writing. <laughs> and probably I fall into the latter category. Does it does it shape? <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, does it shape what you, how you write in the future when you've had the opportunity to meet the people who've read your books? Well, I've I've uh, unusual writing um, experience, really. I mean, my first book, Taken on Trust, was a book uh, written actually entirely in my head in captivity without pencil and paper, and that's that was. 
goodness me, 25 years ago. It's still in print, actually, amazingly. Um, and I still get letters from people who say, that book has, has really helped me. Uh, only yesterday, um, just this day before making this recording, there was a letter from somebody who said, I've got that book on my desk. I've been through a pretty tough time and it really has been very helpful. Um, but then, um, you know, I didn't want to just write um, autobiographical stuff, but then I did another book of poetry uh, and, and reflections called Out of the Silence. Some of that originated in captivity. And really the aim of that was to convey different experiences uh, of life in as few words as possible. Hmm. And also to try and create harmony. I mean, I remember in captivity, um, what was, one was looking for was some degree of inner harmony to try and keep yourself together. And as I've often said, good language like good music um, enables breathe harmony into the soul. And then um, another book on solitude. I mean, I wrote this book on sol entitled Solitude and went to visit people in all different parts of the world who live in solitary places. And one very interesting visit to Moscow to meet with the former agent, uh, espionage agent, George Blake. And I thought, you know, well, someone who's playing a double role will have to have an unusual life, an unusual form of solitude. I mean, Blake, of course, never told his family what he was up to. His wife had got complete surprise when he was captured. And I went to see him in his um, apartment, in his KGB apartment in Moscow. And all that's recorded in that book. And then, uh, the latest book, which I've written in lockdown, was a book of children's stories called The Tales of Tommy Twitchnose. <laughs> now that is set in Suffolk. Um, uh, and the story, it's got an interesting story because friends of mine um, have an old barn, which, they, which was converted into a very nice house. They went away uh, on holiday. When they came back, they discovered, the, um, the, the, the man of the house discovered that mice had eaten his slippers. <laughs> Not a thing to be recommended. No. <laughs> so I thought, ah, he has a story. The right. mice, Tommy Twitchnose and his family who live under the floorboards. And I, you see, I thought this, that here's an example to do two things. One, to really, uh, enable children uh, through fantasy, if you like, to have a care for the animal kingdom, you know, to recognize that they have a life of their own. You know, it might be extraordinarily different to us, but to give them a bit of a human shape and also to try and express a little compassion and kindness. So, in this, in Tommy Twitchno's case, you know, there's Nelson the Seagull who carries wounded animals on his back to the animal hospital. Um, <laughs> the, there's all sorts of characters. There's the tortoise and all these different animals, all of whom have a life of their own and through their actions are saying to young children, you know, be kind to animals, be kind to nature, recognize that we're part of the whole animal kingdom ourselves. 
to have a little compassion, but it never says that directly, so they didn't do So those are just some of the things. I mean, you know, so I've had different types of experience because I haven't been writing to make a fortune. <laughs> You've got to be very good to make a fortune. I've been writing because I enjoy it. So do you think actually the last 18 months or so have given us, you were just talking about the animal kingdom, a greater awareness of nature, of our surroundings? Yeah. Unquestionably. And that one realises, I've always been believed this, but one realises afresh that we really do need to take care of our environment. Um, I mean, it distresses me beyond measure to see the way in which we're using Greenbelt land. Now, the fact of the matter is that, you know, it is, there are loads of places uh, in towns which are now ripe for development because the, the closing down of shops and people will live in towns if they're, if they're pleasant places. And you could do that, you could convert them. The reason it's not being done is it is not as profitable um, unfortunately, it is more profitable to take greenfield land, which is a ridiculous policy because our heritage, you know, this is our heritage. This is enabling us to breathe. Uh, this is good for our mental health. And if you make everything an urban conurbation, well, my goodness, we've lost a priceless asset. Once you're built on it, my goodness, it's there. It doesn't go you the know, other I, way. I, we've, we're, so it does actually say to me, lockdown has refreshed me by saying we need to be in contact with the world. We are part of it. And I've used this analogy very often. I've said often, you know, in the early days, uh, primitive man walked uh, barefooted. The next step was to put on shoes. And the next step was to cover the earth with concrete. <laughs> gradually divorcing ourselves from belonging. Now, I'm not saying we should go out without shoes. What I'm saying is, though, we do need to have that sensitivity about our environment. Mm. Be in harmony with yourself. Be in harmony with your neighbour. Be in harmony with the environment. Was that one of the reasons why Suffolk appealed to you as a place to, to live? Oh, Suffolk, uh, very definitely one of the places to live. Uh, and uh, I mean, again, though, we see it being torn apart. You know, why can't we learn? You look, you go along the A14, and what do you see in the middle of a green field? A massive structure going up, a, a warehouse. Now, that, it's ribbon development. We've got, we're going to have ribbon development all along the A14. Of course, it's convenient for transport, but come on, you know, where where is our coordinated planning, really coordinated planning? And now local opinion, of course, people, um, government can ride over local opinion now. So doesn't matter if you, you know, we're going to build build there, we'll build there, blow it. The thing is this, and I think this is the key point. It's all to do with what you value. If everything now, we all know, let me put it this way, we all know that it's important to have um, income, to have money, uh, to live reasonably as well, as well as we can. Of course, nobody would deny that. But to make money the sole object is totally wrong because you lose the purpose of life. The purpose of life is to live. 
live now and live in harmony. And if you just make money the goal and the amassment of money, you're losing sight of something very important and you're destroying the quality of life, not just for yourself, but for other people. Do you think that the last 12 to 18 months with the with lockdown, the pandemic and so on, may have changed people's perception on the things that matter most? It will have changed some people's perception, but it won't have changed everybody. Um, and uh, I, I, I heard a, a quote, uh, which is partly appropriate to what the question you've just, well, the point you've just raised. It said 10% of people in the world are good, put it like that. 10% are bad and 80% go with the flow. And, you know, they go along with it. They know, oh, well, nothing we can do about it. Let's go along, let's, let's move. And that's true. You see some of the, you know, the rise in the last 12 months of popular movements of one, you know, supporting one cause or another. You know, this nonsense about denying the past. Of course we know in the past that, for example, there was uh, bad practices. So slavery was, of course, totally wrong. But you can't uh, judge the past by the standards of today. The past is the past, whatever you say. You live with it and you learn from it. You don't emulate it. You don't say we're going back to that. Uh, and, you know, there's many people, I think the lack of critical thinking um, is, is, is so prevalent today. I'm sorry, I don't want to make this a whole the tirade of complaints, you know, because I, I, I think there are many, many good things about life. But these are some of the things that one thinks about in, in isolation and mm. reflects more on, probably, and say, come on, let's think, let's go back to the real purpose of life, which is to live and to make, you know, to be as fulfilled as you can be, and you're only fulfilled if you enable your neighbor to be fulfilled. And who is your neighbor? The age old biblical question. You know, who is your neighbor? Well, your neighbor, there we are. We answer that ourselves. Yeah. So again, though, you haven't been afraid in your past to go back and deal with issues from the past to, to forgive those who've harmed you. No, I think it's important. I mean, I think forgiveness is vital. I've been having a, a long discussion with over the I've had a lot of communications over the web in the last last year and um, one was with um, a, a friend of mine who's become a friend of mine who's of Jewish background you know and he says yes um, we he's been saying or and his colleagues have been saying um, we can't forget we can't forgive well, no, you should not forget uh, the Holocaust. You should not forget it. It's an absolutely dreadful thing that could happen. And it shows you the depth to which human beings can sink. You should not forget it. The wounds will always be there. But don't, uh, the one way to deal with wounds is to begin to develop more compassion. I, I wrote a wrote a poem about it, which I can't remember the poem, but it said in the poem, you know, you will be, the wounds will be there, but take heart because they can lead you through to a new depth of compassion. 
And that's what we need to have, where people have behaved in despicable, terrible ways. Um, yes, you condemn what they've done, but you have compassion for them because they're destroying themselves as well as other people. When you kill somebody else, something dies within you. Mm. When you harm somebody else, you harm yourself. And therefore, you know, a more compassionate approach. It doesn't mean to say, I must, must emphasize this, doesn't mean to say <clears throat> they should be soft. It doesn't mean to say that if you've done grave wrong, you shouldn't face justice. Of course you should, definitely. But let's have justice with compassion. And again, is that something that the last year or so will have had an impact on people to consider relationships um, and to consider, uh, you know, are there things that we need to address from our past? Yes, exactly. Again, I've had an opportunity. I founded an organization called Hostage International. And Hostage International, you can look it up on the web. We give support to hostage families all over the, all over the world. Um, and we are inundated with work. You know, what we do is a hostage family or, or, or a returning hostage will be referred to us. Um, and um, we will keep in touch with them over a period of time. Well, over this last year, I've had an opportunity now, because I've been in one place, I haven't been traveling, to have regular weekly meetings with somebody. And there's one person whom I will not name, because we do keep confidential these things, and they never get into the press. One person who uh, was imprisoned in a country abroad, along with her father. Uh, her father was put in the next cell. Uh, they were accused of espionage. He lost 14 teeth. He was tortured. And um, in order to get her to speak, uh, she was questioned. And if she didn't give the answer, um, her father next door was beaten and tortured. She could hear this. And they both faced the death penalty. They were given the death penalty. Totally innocent people. They managed to get out by selling all their assets and gifting them to their captors. So they gifted all their property, everything, and got out. She came to me uh, on the web. I've never met her personally. 12 months ago, over 12 months ago now, we used to have meetings every week. We still do at the moment. We're just tapering off now. And you can imagine that her confidence was zero, zilch. Uh, we talked, we spoke, we um, progressed. We began to look at opportunities. I said, come on now, look, you've got a life to live. Let's see if we can put you in for the Rhodes Scholarship. Very prestigious scholarship um, to go uh, in university. There were 2,000 applicants for two places. Mm. She came number three. <laughs> okay, I said, well, that's no, that's no bad thing. Um, you've got you're in the first 12, they'll get a certificate for that. Let's go on now. And the other week, we heard that she's now been awarded a full scholarship to Oxford, which is paid for, she's got her fees paid and she's got her accommodation and living costs paid. Hmm. And I can't tell you what, what that's done for the family. Yeah. You know, now that's what, another good thing that's come out of, of captivity. Now I would not have been able 
to have that time had I been traveling around mm. and had I been moving around. And that's just one story. I mean, uh, and it's not due to me, it's due to the fact that this, this young woman has been able to get herself together, talk to someone objectively, sort out her own priorities, I mean, then go for it. Mm. And um, story, you know, it's cheered yeah. me up. Yeah, <laughs> well, absolutely. But again, it's only because of the experiences you've gone through that make that you can relate to those experiences. Well, absolutely. I know what that experience is like. I know how it can scar you. And I've seen people destroyed by them, you know. But uh, there we are. You, you, can, you can recover. You can, you can bounce back. You can make your, you know, the, the difficulty of situations, they can be turned into an asset. Like, as I said, suffering, I've always said this, it's never easy to bear. It's damn difficult. And you don't, no, no one listening to this need to, me to tell them that. Having said that, in the majority of cases, it needn't destroy. Often something creative can emerge from suffering. I'm currently talking to somebody else who's going through a pretty tough time at the moment. You know, their world that they've built up is beginning to collapse. And I said, you know, within that, there are seeds of new opportunity. And that's true for people, you know, who've uh, fortunately in, in lockdown have had no income or lost their um, occupation or whatever, lost their job. You know, in the majority of cases, there will be somewhere in that the seeds of new opportunity, which can you can take. And so in my case, you know, I came out, my job had been held open for me, um, but I said, no, I'm not going to take it up. I'm going to launch out in a new way. And if I hadn't had the experience of captivity, I doubt whether I, whether I would have launched out in a new way. I'd have continued in the same mundane way. <laughs> you know, so take heart, you know, and have that optimistic, hopeful spirit. Yeah. And you'll find that uh, you can find something. One of the things that I think people are talking quite a lot about at the moment, and we've certainly talked to one or two charities in Suffolk about this, is... The, the concern about loneliness at the moment and because people haven't been able to engage within their local communities have maybe felt isolated. Um, how, how, what do you think we can do to help that? Well, I think loneliness is a state of mind. It's not the absence of people. Um, it, uh, of course, people around can, can help you sort of um, in some ways deal with, deal with it partially. But people can never really, uh, even if you feel lonely, they're not the only answer, not really the complete answer. To be um, at home with yourself uh, is the way to begin to combat loneliness. To be uh, in harmony with yourself. In other words, you know, as it says in the Bible, um, love your neighbor as yourself. And you know, that's some, it's very difficult to do that because anybody who's truthful will look inside themselves and say, God, Frankie, I'm a mess at times, you know, the things that I've done wrong in the past, oh dear. And we've, we've all made our mistakes. We're all divided people. 
And somehow, again, I'm going back to that theme of somehow trying to find that unity within. And when you begin to move in that direction, um, you can begin to see that you can be at home with yourself. I mean, I've traveled the world all my life and lived in different countries. And I have to say that initially, years ago, I remember feeling acutely lonely, acutely anxious, isolated. And gradually over the years, having to go through the experience of captivity, to be by myself, to get to know myself better, I can now go pretty well anywhere and say, I take home with me because home is within me. You know, it's not something that's necessarily totally related to bricks and mortar and location. It's a state of being. And uh, that is something I've learned. And you learn it across life. It doesn't come quickly. What, what would that be down to then? Is it down to the experience that you've had? Or is it down to the faith? You made reference to you know, a Bible um, aspect there. Is it down to just training yourself? What, what, what d- defines that? It's down to the fact of being able to look at yourself honestly and um, not fool yourself, you know, that you're greater than you are. <laughs> uh, be, 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 uh, be realistic, you know, be realistic about yourself. Um, and there are, sometimes it takes a crisis for some people uh, to be more realistic about themselves. Um, others grow more naturally into it without a crisis. So it, it varies. We all have different experiences in life. But it's a question of just being realistic about yourself and your abilities. Um, and that means, you know, both ways. Sometimes recognising that you probably have more abilities and more skills and more gifts than you realised. And sometimes a crisis comes along and shakes you, so you suddenly say, goodness, I didn't realize I could do that. Um, And that can be the positive side of uh, some of the difficult experiences people have been going through. Um, So it doesn't always have to be, you know, uh, doom and gloom, put it like that. Yeah. So you used that experience, as you said, that you were almost formulating poems and poetry and and books. in your own mind and you were carrying those with you and were able to put pen to paper when the opportunity arose. Is that a way that people can help themselves if they are alone or need space to to maybe understand something better of who they are? Well, uh, I mean, one thing to take, if you've got the time and the opportunity, you know, by writing, not everybody can write, not everybody can read even, you know, But, you know, there are so many, life is so rich and so full, really. There's there's music, you know, music to breathe, as I said earlier, to breathe harmony into the soul. There's a wealth of, I remember when I came out of captivity, they said, one of the first things they said to me, they said, where do you want to go? What would you like to do? And I said, take me to a bookshop. (laughs) And I went into this bookshop and I hadn't been in a bookshop for years. Goodness, I was amazed at all the books on display when I'd had nothing. 
I just had nothing apart from a few scrappy books eventually. And I thought, God, how fortunate we are. We can, you know, we can punch something on the internet and have a book delivered next day. We can go into a shop and we can have a tremendous choice. And that's true, not just with books. It's true, the wealth of music is open to us. The whole, and, and sometimes we, we lose focus and we're just concentrated so much on, oh, on the work area, if you like, expand, develop, grow, you know, and use all the facilities that are there to enable you to do that. Another way of coping with loneliness. And also, you know, being, um, how do I put it? As far as you can, being considerate and kind to your neighbors, you know, giving something to others. Mm. Um, uh, and don't expect doing it for no reason. You don't want reward for it. You do it because we're all together in this. Mm. And you'll be disappointed sometimes because people will not thank you if people will misunderstand you. Also, well, don't be a damn nuisance, you know, <laughs> don't make yourself a pest with others, but just have that attitude of caring for people and recognizing that, uh, you know, we're all in the same boat. Mm. Yeah, certainly that's one of the things that's come up with some of the charities and community groups we've been speaking to, is that social aspect that within a community and Suffolk villages are a yeah. great example of that. They are, they are. We have, a, we have a little wonderful community here, you know, in the early days of lockdown, someone knocked on my door and said, oh, I, I do shopping for you. You know, great, great spirit, just a simple thing, but it means so much. And I know very well, if I were to fall downstairs or <laughs> something like that, you know, there'd be people in the village who would be ready to, to help. Mm. Um, and we that, uh, take you in the car if you want to go to see the doctor. That is priceless. That is something that doesn't happen in our urban areas, in the towns. And this is where our villages are so important. Don't destroy the community. Build community. And many of the, crikey, when you see some of the modern developments, which are not building community at all. They're just building houses. You want to build community. You've got to have a holistic approach rather than just put something here and something there just because it's filling in a space. Build community. We know that. We know how important it is. We know our mental health is dependent also on good community, good relationships. And yet our other policies are out of kilter with that. Um, where do we get joined up government? When will we ever have it? Will we ever have it? Goodness knows. We'll carry that question on to some other time, perhaps. But uh, <laughs> so it, it, in summary, as we sort of just draw to a conclusion, it sounds to me as though what, what you're reminding us of here is the natural world and the animals that you're looking at, you've put into story form about fresh air, about enjoying music and literature. Uh, and understanding that we are part of a bigger picture rather than living in isolation for ourselves. Yeah, that's it. You've summed it up and it's time to finish. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, I think on that though, people will say that old fellow's going on too much. Get, it, get rid of him. Get Far from it. Far from it. It's been wonderful. Um, so you'll be at the the book festival at the end of June, and I know they'll be delighted to have you there. You're you're at a really interesting location out at the uh, Harvest House rather than at the Orwell Hotel. Yes, I, I, don't, I don't think I know Harvest House. Ah, no. full of history, Harvest House. It used to be, many years ago, it used to be an office space. My father used to work there. So Did he, he really? To, yeah, so um, the company, which was Fison's, which was a well-known Suffolk brand. Fison's, uh, is that fertiliser? Fertiliser, that's right, yeah. So, okay. um, and all the children of the employees used to go there for a Christmas party. So um, it'll be lovely right. setting, it, setting foot inside those doors again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I knew somebody called Fison. Yeah, he had the nickname. We used to call him Stinker Fison. <laughs> I'm assuming that's the fertilizer with connection that, and we've nothing to do. We better do. Terry, it's been lovely to catch up with you. Great that you you cope with this uh, difficult time so well, and your input, your wisdom is always wonderful to hear. And uh, we hope you have a great time at the book festival. I look forward to hearing from from you again then. <laughs> well, very nice to uh, hear you, Colin, and look forward to seeing you soon, and also welcoming people to the festival. Turn up, have a good time, enjoy it. It's a lovely, again, just coming back to our community and society, it's a great time just to mix and listen to Absolutely. Yeah. So thank you again. Bye-bye. It was a real privilege to be able to speak with Terry, whose presentation at the Felixstowe Book Festival is sponsored by Kingsfleet Wealth. Do continue to keep in touch with us. We love to get feedback from you and hear suggestions of people who we ought to talk to as part of this podcast. Again, this is all about the people of Suffolk, its businesses, its community groups and its charities. So if there's anybody who you think we should get to speak to, then please do let us know. We'd also value your feedback. And the way that more people can hear this is by us having positive feedback on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and so on. So if you can give us a five-star rating, that would be really greatly appreciated. And we hope that others will then benefit from these wonderful stories of people in our wonderful county of Suffolk.